church, really. Um, If you're not familiar with the scriptures, there's uh, a couple different places in the scriptures where uh, it it really restricts women's activity in the church. And in fact, we'll, we'll go um, through them and, and we'll, we'll, we'll read them. Uh, but there's some that even restrict women so much that they, they shouldn't even speak within the church. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a super uh, high value for scripture. You know, I just, I just believe that it's authority. I believe that it's a, it's a book that we should stand on. It's, um, it's our guide to our faith. It's that beginning stepstone as, as we cultivate a relationship with Christ. Um, so when I hear scriptures like this out of a book that I so highly value, it, it causes me to wrestle with them because obviously when we, said yes to, to planting a church three years ago, I knew that day that I would be preaching this message someday. Primarily because um, you've obviously, most of you have met my wife, if you didn't know, the woman that was up here uh, sharing with you a powerful preview word about Rosh Hashanah. Um, she will be preaching next week. So you already know that that I come from a history of women who are powerful in ministry. How many of you have been uh, blessed by the ministry of Sarah Williams, you know, of just her? In the same fashion, how many of you hold a high standard for what the Bible says? So we have some wrestling to do, right? Because here we have this issue of how, how can we be under uh, the mantle of someone who's obviously gifted to preach and teach and whose, and whose fruit is proven to show worthy. And yet a scripture that says, listen, women need to remain silent in the church and I don't permit a woman to teach or have any kind of authority over a man. That's hard news. So I've been on this journey of wrestling with these scriptures. Now, I want to I tell you that you know that already I am, I am one who can sniff out a bias or an agenda. Um, I'm not even going to try to mask it. You know that already coming into this, I have a conclusion that I want. Okay? I'm not going to be shy. Okay, so as you hear this, as you hear this sermon... You're going to have to weigh out, is George just preaching uh, to bring me to the conclusion that he wants, or is he actually revealing what the scriptures say? I want you to wrestle with that. I don't want you to take what I have to say and, well, the pastor said it, so it must be true, right? That's not the case. You, you are going to be held accountable before the Lord of, of your own personal walk, not with the walk that your pastor has. Okay, so... Before I begin, I want to invite you, 
If you have been with this church in a while, or if you're here for the first time, I welcome you into this church. You are so welcome in this place. I encourage you, if, if this message is, or, or these scriptures are challenging to you, in any way, wrestle with them, okay? Don't, don't just say, well, it, it must mean something else, or uh, anytime Sarah preaches, I'm going to be like, la, 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 la. These scriptures are dangerous, and you can see my little image. Um, it's like the, it's like the time bomb. Like you know, we're gonna have to wrestle with this at some point. And well, today's the day. We only have seven minutes and fifty-five minutes for me to get through this sermon. Yeah. Anytime that we come across hard passages in scripture. Anytime we come across a, a scripture that says, how can this be? First of all, I'm an advocate for this idea of uh, first-faced value. Okay, I, When I read scripture, um, I'm an advocate for everyone to say, what does it say face value first? Okay? We, we know a danger if we look at Scripture through one lens all the time, okay? We know we come through a danger if we look at it as everything in Bible is figurative and it's not precise. Jesus said some pretty precise things, right? But we also know that if we look at everything very literal and saying it means word for word what it says, everyone in this room would have only one hand and one eye. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but Jesus says, hey, if your eye causes you any struggle, pluck the darn thing out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. I know when I was in eighth grade, I went to the, to the uh, uh, gas station down the street, and there's these little cigars sitting by the checkout counter, and I swiped a few and stuck them in my pocket. I'd be the one-armed pastor. Amen. So we know that, that if, if we're not going to cut off our hand, how many of you are going to cut off your hand? Okay. But you're like, I would have raised my hand, but I've cut off. Um, <laughs> then we know that, that we do have some permitted liberty within reason to say we're allowed, we're given permission and grace to say, are we allowed to look at the scripture from other angles? Okay? So, when we interpret scripture and we come across hard verses, um, this, is, this has always been my protocol that's, that's served me well, and I recommend this to everyone, is we zoom out. Okay? These are, the, these are our dangerous verses we're going to be talking about today. 1 Corinthians 14, 24 through 25, or 34 through 35, and 1 Timothy 2, uh, 12. Um, so we need to z- zoom out when we're saying, wait, these, this scripture, I'm wrestling with it, I don't get it. So by zooming out, I mean, what is the Bible saying in the entire context? What's the entire message about 
It's about God redeeming a fallen mankind, reversing the curse of man, right? And it's interesting, even uh, the the curse that was placed upon woman, uh, if you recall in Genesis, was that you will now be uh, under authority of a man, you will now, your husband will rule over you and you, you know, you will have trouble with, with childbearing. So we see these, these verses of, of curse that was sort of placed upon mankind when man fell in the Garden of Eden. And from that point on, the, the, the zoomed out story of the Bible is God saying, how am I going to walk man through the process of getting free from the trouble that they've walked themselves into? God providing a way out for us. When Jesus walks into the, the synagogue and he, and he opens up the scroll, he rolls, rolls out the scroll and he begins reading an Old Testament prophecy that says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to set the captives free. And women should not teach in the church. I'm just drawing contrast here. I'm just saying... You know, I'm not making statements that that are sarcastic, but I just want us to wrestle through, is this the heart of God? Is this the heart of Jesus? Is this this what the scripture is saying, zoomed out, when we see uh, things like Paul's writings, you know, when he says, hey, in Galatians uh, chapter 3, verse 28, he says, you know what? There, there's uh, neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is uh, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Except in the areas of teaching and except in the areas when you're in the church, then there's a distinct difference. And women, you need to just chill out. There's things that don't come in line when you hear about the Holy Spirit falling on a room of people, which actually half, probably half of them were women, and the Holy Spirit falling and Peter addressing a crowd of confused people saying the Spirit of God, just like it was prophesied in Joel when it says he will pour out his Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. The male servants and the female servants. And it's interesting, he even, he even notes servants, the lowest, the, those that are at the bottom, the females and the males. He stuck that in there for a reason. Because when he says that the Spirit of God will fall on all flesh, he wants to make sure that you understand that there's no one that can run away from that. There's no one that can come out from under that saying, you know what, there's spiritual giftings to prophesy, to teach, to heal. But I'm not included in that because of my gender. Or or I, I have been given, but there's restrictions on me because of my gender. I have the Spirit of God to prophesy, but you know what? not allowed to prophesy in the church. My giftings can only be used in the 
context of outside the church, that's confusing. I want to look at what, how Jesus responded to women. And, you know, if, if you guys have studied uh, the culture of the time, you, you understand that um, there was already this repressive nature against women. You, 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 can, you can see it right in, in this thing of the woman getting caught in the act of adultery, right? The, old, the, 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 the law was that both male and female should be stoned. But you don't see, you don't see the dude being hauled out, right? You see one person being hauled out. So you already understand in, in this arena the world that Jesus was born into, that there was already a strong oppression against women. And Jesus frees that woman at that moment. He says, you know what? Instead of repressing women, maybe you guys need to be looking at your own hearts instead. Anyone who has is blameless, cast the first stone. And he sets that woman free that day. Or how about the woman at the well in John chapter 4? I love, I love it because as he's talking with this, with this woman of a whole different sect of faith, in fact, the, the, the uh, Jews, which comes from the word Judah, which is a, a small, uh, is one of the tribes of Israel, they were like the purists, right? They were like the, they viewed themselves as the one true, that, that they had, they had, uh, they, they had uh, a few less idols than the other ones, so that made them better than everyone else, right? And they looked at all the other tribes of Israel as, as like basically a big cult. Like these guys don't know what they're talking about. They worship on this mountain, and we worship on the one true mountain. And Jesus says, oh, "I don't care what mountain you worship on. There's going to be a time and day where true worship will be worshipped in spirit and in truth." Amen. And his disciples walk into this conversation that he's having with this woman of a, an, a, an occult woman. In, in the Jews' mind, they're looking at her as saying she's from a cult. And Jesus is talking with this woman. And they're not alarmed. The disciples are not alarmed that she's talk, he's talking to someone from a cult. They're alarmed that he's talking to a woman. Wait a second, Jesus. Are you sure you should be doing this? The woman said, John 4, 25, I know the Messiah is coming and the one uh, called the anointed when he comes. He will tell us everything. And Jesus said to her, I am the one who is speaking with you. I am the one that, I am the one who is, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. At that moment, the disciples returned and were amazed that he was talking with a woman. You see that, that as the disciples are following the lead of their Messiah, follow the lead of the rabbi, they're being detoxed. They're being retrained on how to live and how to approach humanity. Was this Jesus' message that women should not teach and that women should remain silent in the church?
It's interesting, there was a, a famous rabbi in the first century, the same times that Paul was walking on the earth. And uh, I'm not sure if I put him in my notes here. But um, this is what he says. He says, uh, let the law be burned rather than entrusting it to a woman. Let the, let the Bible, the, the book of the law, the Torah, the most valuable thing in Jewish culture... Let this thing be burned then to actually entrust it to a woman. This is at the same time this influential rabbi is in that same era. Jesus is sitting in a room with Mary and Martha. Martha frustrated because she's in her rightful place in the kitchen preparing food for the men. And Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus saying, listening to the teachings of Jesus. Listening to the teachings of her rabbi. So that one day, she will be a leader in the first century church. When Jesus is crucified and raised again. I was out of place. So we need to zoom out. We need to see the scriptures. We talked about Acts. We talked about Galatians. I, I, I want to list for you. We're just looking in the New Testament. We, I could do a whole sermon. In fact, we could do a sermon series on influential, uh, uh, amazing charactered women in the Old Testament. But we're not even going to crack open the Old Testament today. We're just going to look at people like Mary Magdalene. At Mary, the mother of Jesus. At Mary Shalom, the, the wife of Zebedee. At Joanna and Susan, the ones who, who gave up everything and followed Jesus. They were with the disciples. Uh, they, probably disciple, they probably were some of the 72 that were sent out to go preach the kingdom of God and to, sit, and to heal the sick and deliver people from demonic oppression. Tabitha. It says in Acts chapter 9, verse 36, as Tabitha was a disciple of Jesus. Lydia, who most likely was the lead church planter in Philippi. Nympha, Apphia, Lois, Timothy's grandmother, and not to mention Eunice, Timothy's mother who led Timothy to Christ. Priscilla. Give me a click. Quit clicking. You know, we talked about the 40 to 60 women that were probably in the upper room as the Holy Spirit fell that day. And I want to make a mention. All right, we're going off the slides. I want to make a mention of Cleo. Chloe. Or is it Cleo? Chloe. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. If you have your Bibles, you can open it there. And you can see that there was 
there was a uh, letter written to Paul from the first Corinthian church, from the Corinthian church. And this letter came from Chloe's people. Who are Chloe's people? Chloe was most likely a house church leader. Now, in, in the Corinthian church was not one collective church, but was probably a network of house churches. And one of those house churches was Cleo's house church, who was a, 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 a pastor, a leader, probably an elder in that community. And her people were frustrated with um, what was happening uh, in the church the big church in the mama church, some of the things that were being taught. And, and they send a letter to Paul discussing some of the frustrations that they're having. <clears throat> it is actually reported that there's immorality among you, 1 Corinthians 5.1. So Paul is, is saying, like, he's reading through some of the reports He's, he's reciting back to them the things that he's hearing from uh, the church, the, the, the red flags that are coming back from church leaders saying, hey, uh, Paul, we want to make you aware of some of the things that are being taught, some of the things that are happening, uh, you know, that there's, there's division in the church, that there's immorality in the church, and here's some of the things that are being taught in the church. And Paul, this letter is, he's, he's line upon line addressing concerns that he has within the church of Corinthians. You can see again in, in 1 Corinthians 7, chapter 1, now concerning the matters which you wrote about. And this isn't a question. He doesn't, he doesn't quote. He begins quoting what was written. Now, it wasn't in question form. It was a direct statement. It says, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, end quote. So he's saying, you wrote me about a concern, and this was the concern. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. People of Chloe are saying, these guys are teaching that men and women, husband and wife, shouldn't even be, shouldn't even be doing what husbands and wives are meant to do. One of the greatest gifts of being married now, of course, you can read on and Paul just untwists this bizarre doctrine. That's not the point. The point is, is that we see that there is, there is concerns that Paul is addressing that are coming out of this church. Concerns about disorderly service, about people just speaking out of turn in, the, in their zeal, in their Holy Spirit giftedness, but unrefinement that they're speaking out of turn. Now, there's this, um, there's this idea that that we see in, in 1 Corinthians 14, 24, and 25, that, that, uh, where it says, you know, I, in all churches, uh, women should remain silent. There's this idea that, culturally speaking, that uh, men sat in one side of the room and women sat in the other. And the women, the idea is that women were uneducated uh, and the men were educated in the culture. And so the women would be like, hey, Bill, what's he talking about? And, you know, and then Bill would be like, oh, he's talking about this. Well, the reality is, is we're not talking about Hebrew culture. We're not talking about a culture where women were repressed. We're talking about Greek culture, right? Corinthians was not a 
Hebrew church. Corinthians was a church made up of 100% Gentiles. In a Greek culture where women were actually elevated, in some cases, above men. So these women were just as educated. So be like, hey, Bill, what's he talking about? I don't know. I have no idea what he's talking about. So the reality is is, is that theory of that men and women and, and women were shouting to men is probably not accurate. So as Paul is saying that women need to remain silent in the church, he is probably talking about another issue here. And I'm going to read, if you read the whole chapter, right? The whole chapter of 14, remember, when in doubt, you need to zoom out. So we need to look at this entire, uh, oh, I got control back. Yes, I love control. I'm a control freak. I'm not even going to go there, Emily. So, so we look at, at the entire chapter of 14, and we see that Paul is, is a very lengthy chapter, and Paul is going through some issues and trying to, like, untangle this mess of people just speaking in tongues randomly throughout the church service and people prophesying over top of other people prophesying. And he says, why is it that when you all get together that everyone has a hymn, everyone has a teaching, everyone has a prophetic word? He's saying, look, let's keep things decent and in order. Everyone needs to take turns. You know, when there's a tongue given, you need to stop and see if there's an interpretation if there's no interpretation, let's just be quiet. Let's move on to the next thing. Okay, so he is unscrambling this mess. Line upon line, he's unscrambling this mess in, in the church. And he's setting up this, this great order on how church services need to, be, need to be done. Not repressing, but saying, listen, uh, pause for a second. Listen to the prophetic word. Judge what's going on. And then after that's happened, move on to the next thing. And then out of nowhere... He comes out with this verse. And in all the churches, in all of the place, women need to remain silent in the churches. If they have a question, they need to go home and ask their husbands. It seems like, wait a second. What, weren't we just talking about prophesying in the church? And now all of a sudden we're, we're talking about how women need to not say anything at all. There's something in there that seems out of place. And then he goes on to begin talking about prophesying in the church again. Saying, where is he going here? And in this, he even states something really interesting. He says, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. Now, I don't know about you guys. If you haven't read the New Testament, if you haven't read predominantly Paul's writings, Paul was a, a previously was a Pharisee. He was a Jew's Jew. He knew the law like no one else. And he got, he got, he encountered Jesus and was dramatically converted. And he made it his mission to say that the Gentiles should not be bound by the law. Was it not Paul that says, you are free from the law. The law brings death, but we're alive in Christ. So why on earth is Paul saying all of a sudden, like, 
Women should remain silent in the church just like the law says. And if you read the Old Testament, I can't find out where it says that the women should be silent in the church. So what on earth is Paul thinking? Is he on drugs? No, he is not on drugs. I love verse 36. It says, or, okay, I'm going to read verse 34 and 35, okay? As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or. Or what? So there's a contrast. Or was it from you that the word of the Lord came? Or are you the only ones that is reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet, now he's going back to talking about prophecy. Or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize it, he is not recognized. This is an incredible word, that word or. Because if you look it up in, in the Greek, and I'm going to show you what this, this word is. It's, the, it's, it's right there. It's, it's, a, it's a one letter word in the Greek. It's the seventh letter of the alphabet. Just like we would have the word A or I, like I am. It's just a one letter thing. And, and he puts it at the beginning of a sentence. And in this case, it's capitalized. It's one of the very few places in scripture where um, this letter is capitalized. Okay, the, the Greek writing didn't write like you and I did. Their punctuation, uh, like, you know, I was taught about run-on sentences. Like, they were, run-on sentences was, like, encouraged. That was just how they spoke with these never-ending sentences. Um, so if Paul is writing a letter, it's, if the letter is one entire thought, there would be very few periods in this thing. But in this case, he has a capital letter, or. This is cool. I love this. Turn, if you will, with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse Verse 15 starts, shall I, uh, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Question mark. Well, should I? Should I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? We're, we're, just, we're just kind of, you know, snapshot of scripture. So, you know, to go the backstory, there's issues of sexual immorality. There's issues of... of Stuff like that. So he he's giving this idea of like of like uh, personal purity and saying you know you need to remain sexually pure. And then he and then he says, never. Verse sixteen, we see the word or again. This contrast. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one with her body? So you have a contrasting statement. Who has a King James in the in the room? Some people have 
Read the first, okay, so those that don't have a King James, I, I'm reading probably ESV is what I put in there, which is the direct translation of the word of that little letter N. It's or. But there is an interpretation that King James uses. Who has King James? Can you read uh, the very first word of chapter, uh, of, of si- verse 16? What? And then what's after that? What follows? What? What? A question mark? What? This is crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. That's, you're out of your mind. What? This is, this is uh, you know, modern day terms, and I've been giving this example. Like, um, let's say, let's say uh, I do something kind of just like really out there, and my wife looks at me. Really? You're going you're gonna to wear that? Really? Is she really questioning me? Is that her intentions, is to question me? Or is there another message that she's giving me? Right? So we understand. Now, now if, you took, if you took that dialogue, if you wrote it down on a piece of paper and sent it back in time 100 years, and, and I said, Sarah, this is what I'm wearing. And she says, really, that is what you are wearing. Um, to the reader, it'd be like, is Sarah blind? What? Does she not understand that he has clothes on? Like, it wouldn't make sense because they wouldn't understand the tone of what she's saying. They wouldn't understand the cultural norms of how words were used. Really? That's what you're wearing? So in a whole letter that Paul is quoting back to him, back to the readers, what things are being taught inside the churches in Corinthians. We come to this Spot. Women should remain silent in the church. Paul goes, really? Paul goes, what? Has the word, has only you received the word of the Lord? Is now all of a sudden you're prophesying things that are contrary to what I taught? Are you out of your minds? When I just said above that all can prophesy... When we went over the biblical order of, of women under good covering with their husbands should be permitted to pray and prophesy, and now, now all of a sudden you're saying that women need to remain silent in the church. What? It's exciting. I don't even know where I'm at on my notes. I love the end of I love the end of the book of Corinthians as Paul is uh, giving his his uh, greetings and and saying goodbye and he says by the way uh, Priscilla and Aquila uh, the church leaders uh, back where I'm from say say hello Seven places in the Bible, uh, Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned. Five of them, Priscilla comes first. Enough said. Turn with me to 1 Timothy 2, 12. We are going to just slam through this fun, fun passage. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, rather, she is to remain quiet. 
um, as we're talking about, um, here we are. As we're talking about Greek words, I want to make note of the word authority. The word authority uh, that that Paul uses actually exercise authority. Two words there were condensed into one word in the Greek, um, and that was. Authentine was the Greek pronunciation, authentine. And that word uh, appeared in Scripture one time, and it was in 1 Timothy 2.12. So this word authentine, that is a very obscure word, it's never repeated again in the New Testament, in the Bible at all, uh, was used this one time. So as it's interpreted, uh, exercise authority, there's a lot of history and baggage with this word. So... um, We're just going to talk a little bit about what uh, life was like for Paul. Paul was a uh, church planter and a leader in Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus was another Greek uh, city, Greek culture city. It was very far away from Israel. It was very far away. In fact, it's in modern-day Turkey, uh, which is uh, not close. It was closer to the the island of Greece than it was to Israel. So this is far removed. They're, They're a fully... Uh, pagan Greek, uh, Greek goddess city. Okay, just like Corinthians. Corinthians, their, uh, their city god was um, Aphrodite. If you're familiar with Greek culture, if you ever watched uh, the, the um, movie Hercules or what was some of the other kind of Greek movie out there? Yeah, Clash of the Titans. Um, you see Aphrodite, she's a love goddess. Okay, so you, you understand why there's so much sexual perversion in the you know, the the Corinthian church is dealing with. In Ephesus, there is also a female god. And her name is Artemis. Artemis. She uh, is the goddess of fertility. She was uh, the protector of women while they were bearing child and during childbirth. Uh, She was, uh, if I have a picture, um, I think I have a picture here. Ah, she was the goddess of lots of breasts. Um, <clears throat> that's just, just, just the truth, okay? <clears throat> the, many, the many breasted one. Okay, I'll, I'll, uh, not to cause anyone to stumble. How, how this Greek culture worked is, especially in, in cities where you had uh, uh, these goddesses, you know, we, we read in 1 Corinthians how, in 6, how he's talking about pr- prostitutes, how members should join themselves with prostitutes. What? Are you crazy? In the same way in the Greek culture, in these temples, these goddess temples, there would be just a multitude of priestesses, female priests. And these priests, they... they they prostituted themselves out to their to their congregation, so to speak. And but we don't look, we look at it today as like this very dirty thing. Like like uh, that's not how it was. In fact, they were very they were very looked up to. They were wealthy. They were powerful. They wore fine clothes and jewelry, and and they were the status symbol of of the cities. The women, you know, we didn't have Cosmetology magazine. We didn't have e-television, you know. This is who they looked up to as the supermodels of the time. All the women's fashion would come from these, you know, these, these temples and these glorious uh, priestesses that would, that would come and they would do their pagan thing, right? 
So also at the same time, you'd have, you'd have uh, this, this new wave of Christian faith, and it blends with the pagan doctrine, and you get these bizarre sects of Christianity. How many ever heard of Gnosticism? A few hands in the room. Gnosticism was a uh, religious sect of the time that was a blend of Christianity with paganism, with pagan gods, and they believed that, that salvation came by knowledge. The, the, when you got to the certain point of knowledge, you were enlightened, and that's how your salvation and your, your freedom came. And, well, they had their own story of the origin of of creation, you know, mythology. They loved to tell stories. They loved to recreate stories. They recreated the story of Adam and Eve, where Eve was the one who breathed life into Adam. Eve is the one who 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 brought life into the planet. So you have this exalt this exalting of women in this culture, primarily in the religious culture of the time this religious pollen floating through the air is beginning to affect the churches, beginning to affect the church in Ephesians. So let's read what Paul has to say to Timothy concerning the church of Ephesus. He says, remain at Ephesus. We're in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, verse 4. Remain at Ephesus so that you can change, so that you may change certain per, uh, charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths or endless genealogy which promotes speculation rather than the stewardship of God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues that that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere, and sincere faith. Certain persons, notice he's not naming names. He's not trying to, he's like, Timothy, you know who I'm talking about. By swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions. So Paul, predominantly, they're okay. Paul is not freaking out. But he's like, he's writing not a letter to Ephesians, he's writing a letter to Timothy saying, listen, I've heard of some things that are happening that aren't good, get a handle on it before it gets out of control, okay? So, let's read the entire context of 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is fun. He's starting at verse 8, okay? I love this. You guys are going to love this too especially with all the background that I gave, you'll be able to figure this all out. You'll be able to unravel the puzzle. I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, likewise also the women. Likewise, like what? Men lifting their hands up in prayer everywhere. Likewise, the women. But I want to address the women is what he's saying. That women... uh, should adorn themselves uh, in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold and pearls or costly attire. Like who? Like the priests of the pagan temple. But with, the, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with works. 
Let, a women, let women learn quietly as with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. The word exercise. That word exercise, authority, the one time that it's used, is the same word that is used to describe what priestesses do in the temple. It is a sexual authority. It's the only time it's used in the New Testament. In fact, the normal word for authority, uh, exosia, is the, same, is the word that's used 29 times in the New Testament, and it's the authority that Jesus was given over Satan. Now, if a woman is not supposed to exercise authority, wouldn't it have been over a man in just the straightforward way? Wouldn't it have been appropriate just to say, the word that Paul that, that was written about how Jesus exercises a, that all authority has been given to Jesus, right? All this word that's been used twenty nine other times in the New Testament, but there there was a specific purpose for using this word. He's relating it to the priestesses in the temple. I do not permit a woman to exercise that kind of authority in the church over the men. Rather, they need to remain silent. For Adam, this, this is so good. You'll love this. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. There's no way for Eve to breathe life into Adam. And Adam was not deceived, but it was Eve that was deceived. And it began, became a transgressor. Yet, she will be saved through childbearing, if she continues in the faith and love of holiness and with self-control. Remember what Artemis was? The goddess that protected women during childbirth? Women would come to Ephesus uh, to have their children in hopes that the goddess of that city would protect them during childbirth. So you have this obscure passage that looks extremely repressive towards women, but is actually unraveling a Greek style of thinking. Lord, I thank you that you have used women in our culture, throughout history, regardless of the confusion that we see as scripture is interpreted. Lord, I am so thankful that you used Priscilla and Aquila. I'm so thankful that you used Lydia to plant a church in Philippi. I'm so thankful for Dorothy Day of the Catholic Workers or for Mother Teresa, Lord. I'm so thankful for for Anne Graham Lott, who is a crusader of our time, who preaches a powerful message and who has won thousands, if not hundreds of thousands to Christ. Lord, I'm thank you for my wife. Lord, I'm thank you for the women in this body of believers who have been gifted and anointed not to be kept silent, but to use their giftings in the way that you have called them to, that all would prophesy that you are no respecter of man. God, I thank you that you have come to set the oppressed free.
I thank you that you have freed us from the law that brings death. God, I thank you that as I have wrestled with scripture, God, that you hold a healthy fear of the word of God in this church. And we do not take these words, we do not just flippantly disregard the things that you say in this, in this word, but we will wrestle with them to find true meaning. God, we're, thank you. we're thankful for Paul, for his teaching. We're thank you for the writings in Corinthians and Timothy. We're thankful how it instructs leadership to be in the church, that we can use this as an example. God is building blocks on how to build our churches. Jesus, we're thankful that you sent that woman at the well away that day as one of the very first evangelists that won her whole city to Christ. Father, and I pray just like that woman at the well that there would be women in this city that would rise up to win their city for Christ. God, and I pray today for people in this room that are still wrestling through this that said, George, great message, but you know, I just got to take this and I got to wrestle through it myself. God, I, I'm, I'm thankful that there are people that take the word of God seriously and are not just okay with the pastor said it, so it must be true. God, I, I'm thankful. And Father, I pray divine wisdom and grace. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would unravel the word of God, that it may correctly divide, that it would correctly circumcise the heart, God. I honor. I honor men and women of God who uphold the scripture to a standard that is above any other. Father, I just breathe the Holy Spirit on them in their studies this week and these months, just like you breathed on me for the last three years as I've wrestled with these scriptures. Father, I thank you that you sent your son to set the captives free. And not just women, it's not just a gender or a race thing, God, but it's every individual heart. And in this room today, I just pray as anyone struggles with anything, coming in with heaviness, with depression, with sickness, God, that they would find you as their redeemer and find freedom as they anchor themselves into you. Pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, I hope that word was encouraging. To those who are still wrestling through this topic, I hope I didn't beat you up too much. I hope you still love me. Thank you.
guys have an awesome week. Amen.